We're, uh, we're continuing this series, Looking at Faith. And this is a series that's going to run right uh, through to just about before Christmas, about uh, early December when we move into a, a Christmas part of the series, uh, looking at faith as well. We're just wanting to, to bring our minds back into what we've been talking about, and I'll bring my little trusty stool up here. It, it helps to have something in our minds that's physical to help us remember um, what a word means sometimes. So, when we're, when we're talking about faith, faith is it's more than, than a mental assent, it's more than just knowing, it is an action. When we talk about biblical faith, that's what we're talking about. So, I can look at this chair, I can believe it's going to hold me, I can have knowledge about chairs that I've experienced before, but it's not until I actually come and sit down on that chair that I actually put my faith in this chair. It's a good way to, to think about faith. Um, faith is, is also, it's, it's not irrational. Um, there's, there's rationality about faith. We, we use our experiences, what we've heard um, from people, uh, what we can see with our eyes, what we uh, know about chairs to make a decision to say, that one's probably uh, worth putting my faith in. Uh, the, the difference with biblical faith is it's not in an object, it's, uh, it's in a God and that God who's revealed to us most fully in the person of, of Jesus. We started uh, to look into Joshua, and that's the book that we're going to be working through. So, if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to be in Joshua again this morning. Uh, open up to, we'll start in, in chapter 5. If you remember from, from last week, we looked at Joshua, and he was on the edge of the Promised Land looking in, and God spoke to him. God spoke to him and spoke words of faith. Faith spoke words into his life that are crucial for a journey of faith. And we looked first of all at what it means to live in faith. He said to Joshua, Moses is dead. In a sense, if we're going to be a people of faith, if we're going to be a, a people that walk in faith, we need to be a people that, yes, learn from the past, remember the past, but live in the present. Live in the present of what God is doing now and be ready to move forwards into what God has for us. So, we don't want to bring and, and carry with us to the, to the extent that it starts to burden us the past. And we talked about sometimes that can be really good experience in the, in the past, that it can stop us from experiencing God in the present here, or really bad experiences sometimes can stop us from experiencing what God wants to do with us and for us in the present. So, we want to leave, in a sense, that, that past behind us, learn from it, uh, reflect on it, but live in the present and be ready to move into the future. The second part was, um, was knowing the promises of God, having, having His truth, His Word on our lips and uh, meditate on it day and night, remember that passage? And being obedient to that. Uh, it's it's the, the foundation of, of faith, is responding to the truth of God and living in alignment with that. And then we talked, lastly, about this daily stepping out in faith. That part of the Christian life is, um, is leaps of faith, in a sense. When God, God calls us over here and, and we say, 
God, we've walked with you for, for a while now, and uh, I, I'm trusting you, and I'm going to leap into that area of faith. But uh, what the, the general Christian life is all about is it's this uh, day after day, just walking in faith, walking in the truth of what God has revealed to us. Uh, and that, that, is, um, that, is, that is not easy sometimes. To, to, to day after day, in the little everyday stuff of life, to live a faithful life. But that is what, uh, what God calls us to. So we're in the Battle of Jericho. And I have a, a photo of Jericho. Up, oh, there it is, already there. Um, so Jericho was a walled city. It's, uh, it's one of the most ancient cities uh, on this planet. It's, it's the oldest continuously occupied city that, that really exists. And uh, this is, this is a, a depiction of, of ancient Jericho. Uh, the wall system around this place was really quite impressive. You had a, a dual wall system, so you had a lower wall and an upper wall. And, and this would have been pretty much impenetrable. We, we talk about uh, Jericho as being a city. Um, this, this here, it was like a city, but it's, we, we probably should think about it more in light of like a, a military fortress. This was, uh, in, 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 the, in the Canaanite area, this was the, the central area of power and, uh, and where the military forces would, uh, would come and defend their land and also go out from there. They would keep their, their stores there of... of um, of, of wheat and, and different things like that and all their gold and possessions there as well. And it would be a place in which the, the people that lived out in the country could come in for safety as well. So we're looking at uh, Joshua as he moves into the, into the land of Canaan to possess it, the land that God had given the Israelites. And we're going to have a look at how uh, this battle is won. Probably uh, one of the most important sections of this whole book actually comes just before uh, we move into Jericho here. And it's in chapter 5. I think uh, uh, about a month ago we, we actually looked at this a little bit, but I want to touch on it again. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, this is verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the Lord's army, of, uh, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for me, his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is uh, so important for us to get. This, uh, uh, this commander of the Lord's army here, it's, uh, it's actually thought that, that this isn't just a heavenly host, that this could actually be uh, Jesus himself. The, uh, the, the theological word for this is a Christophany. 
uh, so a, a non-physical appearance of, of Jesus. And the reason why scholars seem to think that this could be what's going on here is because of, uh, there's a number of things, but some of the language here is very interesting. Right at the end there, and it, he says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. If you remember, that same language was used for Moses before the burning bush. And, uh, and, and here he falls face down and he worships him as well. So he's there, of the Lord's army, and he says, whose side are you on? If you see someone with a big drawn sword and you're about to go into a battle, you want to know whose side he's on. And his response is peculiar. Neither. Neither. You see, God, the commander of the Lord's army, wasn't on Joshua's team. He's not on my team. He's not on this church's team, in a sense. He's not on our nation's team. We join God's team. That, that's what he invites us to. We, we join and align ourselves with him and what he's doing. That's, that's, what, that's what he invites us as this church to do, to join him in what he's doing. Because this is, this is primarily his church. He is the king of this church. He is the king of our lives. Which team are you on? Neither, the commander of the Lord says. We then go through and uh, he tells how this battle is going to be won. This is quite a peculiar battle right throughout history. We know the story here. Uh, for six days, he tells the army of Israel to march around the extremity of this wall and uh, that there would, behind them would go the priest with seven horns and they would blow them. And on the seventh day, it would be a little bit different. They would go around and uh, go around seven days on the seventh, seventh, go around seven times on the seventh day. And at the end, they would blow their horns and cry out. It says this, when the trumpet sounded, this is verse 20 of chapter 6, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and, the and at the sound of the trumpets, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. Hmm. That was a little bit unexpected. Maybe not unexpected, but it's a little bit jarring. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkey. We see in Deuteronomy they were carrying out what seems to be what God told them to do. In Deuteronomy, God told Moses, however, In the cities of the nations, the Lord God is giving to you as an inheritance. Do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them. Now, this has got some, um, some questions here for us. Some, some real questions. And, and what we often do with passages like this is, is we kind of just skim over them. 
Um, uh, we, would, we would kind of just quickly move past them. And uh, maybe you're thinking, Andrew, that's probably what you should do this morning as well. Uh, just kind of skim over it. But I, I see what's happening here. And, and as, as, as we're, we're out talking to people, this is stuff that often raises up. The, the church has struggled with this throughout history. This, this is not new. And, uh, and, and, and society is starting to point this out. What's going on here? It's a good question. Because we, we look at what, what's being revealed to us in these, these passages in the Old Testament, and then we look at uh, God revealed in Jesus, and we go, what's going on? What, 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 what's happening here? The, the God in the New Testament revealed in Jesus, he said, what did he say? He said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Remember when he was in the garden and the soldiers came down and uh, Peter picked up the sword to defend his Lord and he chopped off the, the, the ear of that guy. And Jesus went and got it and put it back on his ear and, and healed him. And he says, Peter, don't do that. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Jesus, instead of winning freedom by killing, he won freedom by dying. By being the victim or being having violence perpetrated against him. So what's going on here? How, how, do, we, how do we understand this? I, I want to just take a, a little bit of time to kind of uh, dig into this a little bit. The book of Joshua, it really, and, and Judges, and, and a number of other books, books it, it presents a story that is, is quite complex, a complex portrait of Israel's conquest of the land. And uh, we've, got, we've got some interesting things going on here. We've got some rhetoric, we've got some figures of speech, we've got hyperbole, and uh, it's, it's, uh, the narrative style is an ancient battle account. And we've got some, some questions to ask, because this is a, a document that was, that was written, inspired by God, but written many, many thousands of years ago. And do you know how we, we come to Revelations with a, bit of, a little bit of caution? Because we realise that, hey, this, this book here, this book of Revelation is written in a narrative form that we're not quite familiar with. Uh, sometimes I think we need to do that with other parts of Scripture as well, to, 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 to come with, with seriousness, but caution as well, as we, as we start to read. So what's going on here? Christians throughout history have struggled with this, have struggled to come to, to how, how, do, how do we marry these? It, it seems like there's a bit of a contradiction going in here, but we know that, that there, there isn't a contradiction. So, so how, do we, how do we do this? How do we marry them? I've got this next slide up here now. And these are the, some of the possibilities that people have kind of explored. Um, one of them is that the, the descriptions of uh, literal and uh, God's moral right. Uh, William Lay Craig would be one of the proponents of this view, and he would say that the, when God commanded that men, women, and children would be killed, uh, not just soldiers, that God was just to do that. He knew the hearts, he knew what they would become, and he was just to do that. Second is um, the second possibility 
is that uh, Scripture is fallible. Uh, when it talks about the violent comments, about um, that, that the Bible, even in its original form, uh, maybe it was highly influenced by men and, uh, and what they thought. Now, for, for us that hold, a, uh, hold to the authority and the divine inspiration of Scripture, that's not orthodox. We don't hold that. But, but, but that is how some people have tried to work this out, have, have tried to square it up. Uh, third one is, is to use allegory. And uh, this is very, really interesting, actually. People like Origen and Augustine, they were really early Christian thinkers in antiquity. Uh, thinkers that have, have really changed the way that we uh, understand God and, and, and theology. It says this, Augustine eventually holds uh, that the character of God revealed in Jesus cannot ever be violated by literal reading of any Old Testament scriptures. If the passage appears on its face to attribute um, brutal behaviour or cruelty, then it must be read as allegory and not literally. So that's how some Christians in the past have interpreted these, have, have tried to bring congruence um, to, these, uh, to these depictions of God here. Another possibility and what Christians have, have worked through before is uh, maybe this is God um, getting himself dirty in a way. Now that sounds a little bit, a bit strange, let me explain that. Um, basically the idea is, is God may be willing to accommodate to the stubbornness of his people. And they'll use the example of uh, 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 8, when it talks about the people of Israel calling for a king and say, God, we, we want a king like the other nations. And, and God, in a sense, says, uh, I'll give you a king, but it comes with a warning. So there's, a, there's an accommodation that happens there. It's the idea that, that these people were, a, it was a violent time and a violent people, and they knew that... Uh, that the way that they would, would see a deity as being powerful would be to, um, to, to, to praise it for uh, world war victories. Another possibility that people have brought in is that Canaanite nations, uh, they, were, they were extremely evil and wicked. And this can be supported through documents. So there's, there's extreme brutality in these, uh, in these, these people groups particularly, uh, child sacrifice, all sorts of different terrible things. Possibility six is um, the idea of, of hyperbole, uh, that there's, there's some different language being used in here. It's a, it's a technical type of language. And they, they bring in, in, for example, that the cities in Israelites, they were told to conquer them. And uh, Hebron, for example, in chapter 10, was said that it was totally destroyed but just a few chapters later, uh, when the Israelites got to those cities again in chapter 15, we find that there were people there again. Possible, possibility seven is that uh, one interpretation that's been put forward is going back to Genesis chapter 6, and we've got um, this idea of the Nephilim, and there's the idea that maybe these were descendants of the Nephilim. So what we've got here is just a depiction of how uh, Christians throughout hi history have seen uh, this, 
the, what's presented to us in God, in Jesus, and then what's presented to us in the Old Testament and gone, Ooh, how do we make these marry? Now, there's some of them that make a little bit of sense to me. But uh, it gets really tricky. Books and books and books have been written about those different responses here. I want to share with you what I found particularly helpful. And uh, the the reason, we we don't normally address this stuff. And and I, I think it's actually to our detriment. Because what ends up happening is that we don't address it here so that we, we come across something later and, it, and it, it, can, it can really wobble us. Or we don't know how to give a response um, to people who ask these thoughtful questions. What we see is that, uh, this is what I found particularly helpful, in, in Colossians and, and Hebrews especially, it talks about the Old Testament as being a shadow in a sense. Um, it, is, it is absolutely true, but, but the character and the person of God that we see most clearly is seen in Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, we are to, to look at Jesus. That is the, the clearest portrait for us of the character and the being of what God is like. Jesus said, um, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In Hebrews, it says that he is the... Um, the, 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 actually, I'll find it. It's the, the exact representation of his being. So what we see is that, uh, that if, we, if we see Jesus, then we see that that is, is truly what God is like. And uh, what he reveals to us is that he was a God who is a God who loves his enemy and who gave himself for his creation. Uh, a, a God who said, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. What I find really interesting is that Jesus and all the New Testament writers, they had an extremely high view of the Old Testament. In fact, it was, it was pretty much the only scriptures that they knew. It, it, was, it was what changed them and, and moulded them. It's what God used in their life. And what's, what's really interesting is that they never spent a lot of time to actually talk uh, about... that. They didn't see that there was a, a conflict of interest there. They, they just didn't. Well, at, at least they didn't write anything for us. So something's happening there. Something's happening in, in that the way they saw the Old Testament made total sense with the teachings of Jesus and how he lived. Therefore, I think that we are not to dismiss the Old Testament. In fact, we are to hold it as incredibly important for speaking into our life and into our faith. But we are also to fully embrace the revelation of God in Jesus. God who ultimately defeated evil and he did not kill for a cause, but he died for a cause. He loved his enemies through a non-violent victory. So, as we, as we, as we come through these passages and we see these, these violent depictions, uh, Jesus didn't have a, a problem with that. There's a, there's a way in which 
the God revealed in Jesus squares with the God revealed in the Old Testament as well. And the clearest portrait of that is found in Jesus. There are just so many, um, so many lessons for us as we, as we look through the, uh, this story of Jericho being taken and we could, we could take many of them. I, we could focus on the power of God being greater than the size of a problem. Uh, this, this enormous structure, the power of God is, no, is, no, um, is nothing compared to that. We look at if, if God has spoken, we need to trust and obey. We can talk about the reality that we don't see and the importance of that in faith because there was something that we didn't, that uh, Joshua couldn't see and yet it was so important. It had a great bearing on the outcome. We can talk about the importance of gathering together with those who see the unseen, those who believe that there's a God that is, is doing things that we can't actually see tangibly like we're doing this morning and like the Israelites who marched around together. We talk about the importance of putting one foot in front of another like the Israelites did, not knowing exactly what the outcome would be until, um, until the end. We can talk about looking forward and antic- anticipating with expectation of what God is going to do when we step out in faith. But as I, as I look at this story, the, the way that I really want to, um, to look at it is to, to move across to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, it talks about this battle that we're, we're in. It, it talks about this in Ephesians. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, Paul talks about this battle that we're involved in as, uh, as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And he uses a lot of language. He uses strongholds and he uses um, weapons and he uses uh, demolish. There's, there's all sorts of military type uh, language here. And I can't help but wonder, wonder that maybe he was actually thinking back to that, those accounts about what happened in Jericho. When he said for us, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What he's saying here, in a sense, is, is I'm going to take you into the deeper battle. There's a deeper battle going on and, and behind every battle that's fought on earth is this deeper battle it's a battle of truth and lie. It's, it's, it's a battle of, of believing lies that, that it goes right back to the garden, the original lies that, that we believed as humanity and it created this ripple effect throughout humanity um, of destruction. Faith, in a sense, we could say, 
is living in alignment with the truths that God tells us, that God reveals to us through His Word. When we step in faith, we, we, are, we are walking in the truths that He has revealed to us and we are rejecting the lies. You know, our society has been, shape, been changing and shaping recently and uh, it's, it's being shaped around um, non-reality, false reality. The, the realities that are revealed to us uh, by God are starting to be re- eroded. The truth that, that, that God has set before us is starting to be, 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 be done away with and replaced with lies. Not only, not only truth is being replaced with lies, but the God who is the author of truth has been replaced as well. And as we stand as the people of God, as people who, uh, who stand in truth, there's a sense in which we're seen in some different ways. I just want to read to you some, de- some depictions, um, some describing words of how we're seen. Silly, stupid, irrational, simple, wicked, hateful, obstinate, antisocial, extravagant, perverse. Is that the way the, uh, the truths of Christianity are seen today in some way? Those, those description words were taken straight out of a book. It's, um, it's called The Destroyer of Gods. It's, it's a guy who looks at, at uh, of, of God, sorry, it's a guy that looks at the history of Christianity in the Roman world especially. And, uh, and these are words that were used against the Christians in literature that he found. So this is what the ancient Romans thought of the Christians. Much of that is being levelled at us today. In this book, he talks about five Christian distinctives that were really distinct about, about Christianity and, uh, and really stood out. Number one is a very high value um, for what we would call diversity, equality and inclusion. The faith communities that gathered uh, in, the, in the early church, these were extraordinary communities where, where both Jew and Gentile came together. All different nations came together under God, being the same. Values of um, socioeconomic differences. So, you, you have all these, these passages teaching us about uh, that it doesn't matter whether you're, you're extremely wealthy or whether you're extremely poor. When, when we come as God's children, we come together on an equal playing field. That was, that was revolutionary at that time. That just did not happen. Number three, sex being between one man and one woman for life until death do us part. That was countercultural in the time. And, uh, and this was something that was distinctive about those who met under the name of Jesus. The fight against infanticide abortion. So this was the idea that they used to uh, leave uh, children out under the age of, of one to, to the exposure to the elements and, uh, and would, would, they would die. And the church fought against this. The church didn't just fight against it, the church actually came and saved those babies and took them in as orphans. So these were some distinctive points that, that, that when, when, when the society looked at the church, these were stuff that stood out to them and an unwillingness to be in the military as followers of Jesus. Now, there's a, um, 
There's a bit of irony in this, actually. Um, it, it's quite interesting because it shows how Christian truth in, the, in a Christian way, in a, 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 a Christian church at this time and this time, uh, it's, it's very different, in a sense. Uh, you look at those first two, they kind of seem like what, one spectrum of politics. And then you look at the second two, and that's another spectrum of politics. And then you look at the last one there, and that's, that's not really found anywhere. And uh, the, the way that God wants us as His body to live is, is quite... It's, it's like salt and light. It stands out. It's very different. The world is rejecting truth, and it's rejecting the truth giver. And we are a people that stand in faith and say we're coming under God's truth, under Him, and under the author of that truth. The sense in which the world is a, is a highly sophisticated machine now. It's a highly sophisticated machine of generating and propagating and forcing lies upon people. At the heart of this machine is really our educational systems, our educational institutions. We look at curriculums that are being written at the moment and, and that they are, they are putting lies into our kids. Taking truth and replacing it with utter lies. Not only that, the centre of this machine is media and social media as well. Forming people. And God says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they are divine powers to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Got the next slide here. This is so infiltrating our, our kids. Uh, they're, they're being uh, day by day pressed by this machine that is speaking lies. And uh, that's the reason when we, when we found out that this uh, ACL download um, program was going to be run up here in Brisbane, we wanted uh, some of our leaders to be able to go for, to that. Some of our young leaders to be able to go to that. And I, I hope that we'll be able to see uh, many more in the future go to that as well. Because one of, the, one of the core aspects of this, it, it takes, it's, it's eight days and it's going away and it's the leading Christian thinkers at the moment coming together to teach our young people to identify lies to, 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 uh, to, and, and then to, to, to reconstruct under the truth of God. It says, get ready to take your faith into the real world. There are answers because there is truth. We have been called into an ancient battle. And it's a battle that started in the garden. It's a battle that started when lies were whispered and we were, we were tempted to believe those lies. The battle is to take those thoughts captive and say, no, I'm aligning with the truth of what has been revealed to us in Scripture and through the Gospel. Faith is living in alignment with truth. When truth is spoken... It's trusting that and taking step by step in alignment with that truth. For though we live in the world, we do not wage world war 
as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Father, we come, come before you now. And Lord, I, I think about the passage that we read very first this morning about you appearing to Joshua. And Joshua asked, which team are, are, are you on? Are you on ours or are you on the Canaanites? And you said, neither. And Lord, we want to say we, we, we join your team, your kingdom. As, as this church, we want to line up underneath you and underneath your truth. Father, we want to lift up to you, especially our kids and our young adults that are in the very front lines of disordered truth, that are in the very front lines of the machine that keeps propagating and generating and, and pressing upon lies. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would help them to stand firm, that they would take every thought captive. Lord, would you speak truth? Would that truth be received? Lord, we want to, we want to lift up to you those uh, eight people that are going to this conference coming up. And we pray that that would be a time of great blessing. Would you align them with truth? Would you, would you allow them to be able to see the way truth is being deconstructed in our society? Think of what Joshua said at the very end. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. May that be true of us as your people. May we choose your truth. May we, may, we, may we take every lofty thing that is raised up against you and may we say, no, we choose you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.